Good morning, Village Church. I'm Matt, one of the pastors here at the Village. If you are a guest with us this morning, we are grateful that you're here. I'm glad to be here. Last week, uh, last weekend, I spent my time in Oregon at a uh, church that's part of our church planning network that we're associated with, and uh, I spent the weekend uh, ministering to a pastor and his wife who were going through a very difficult time in this season, not just because of the things going on with uh, COVID and all the issues related to that, but just some things in the life of their church and was able to encourage their leaders at a few meetings on Saturday. I preached a couple services there on Sunday morning. And um, I just want to tell you, it was a great experience being with other Christians in another part of the country um, that experienced some of the similar things that we do here. And I got to tell you, there are so many good and godly people all over this this nation, all over the West Coast even, who are committed to Jesus and making disciples rather than in these uh, sort of suburban areas like we are that are really growing. Or this was a very ur um, uh, rural area. And, um, and, and they're committed to growing, you know, the kingdom in that place. And uh, it was great to be with them. But I'm really glad to be here. I was thinking as I was there, there's so many great little things that their church did through the morning. But um, I missed some of the things that we do together on a Sunday morning. Isn't it good to be together as a church family, right? Yeah, it's glad to be with you this morning. Here we are in the book of Acts chapter 9, and last week we ended with this verse in verse 31. It says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace. Right, because Saul was a Christian now. He wasn't dragging Christians off to jail. And was being built up. During those peaceful times, churches can get built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, here it is, it multiplied. It was being built up and it multiplied. And here we're reminded that actually church growth is a good thing. Matter of fact, the entire book of Acts shows us a growing church. And it shows us a church that's growing in the midst of all kinds of circumstances. It shows us a growing church initially that's meeting in a city that is hostile to the things of God and to the gospel. It shows us a church that's growing in the midst of persecution from without. It shows us a church that's growing uh, with the, in, the, with, in the midst of a kind of compromise from within. It showed us in earlier in chapter 9 a church that's growing despite heavy, heavy persecution from Saul and the like. I mean, the book of Acts shows us that the church is always growing, no matter what the circumstances, no matter how difficult things are. Things are growing. The church is growing. And we believe that Jesus wants a growing church. And it can grow in the midst of any kind of challenges. And really we see the two ways that the church grows. The church grows through sharing the gospel. And the church grows through evangelism. Sharing the gospel, which is evangelism rather, and caring for God's people, which is discipleship. These are the ways the church grows. When I was in seminary, I took a whole semester class on church growth. Okay? It was a whole semester class from a professor who written a lot of books, and I have a lot of respect for him, but it was a whole semester on church growth, and I realized this week, looking back on it, that the entire semester could have been summed up in two things, evangelism and discipleship, right? Sharing the truth of the gospel and caring for God's people and helping them to grow. And Village Church, I want to tell you that there's no coincidence, it's not rocket science when we came up with our core focus statement as a church. It's not like we went into a strategic planning mission meeting and said, you know, what better vision can we come up with than some other church down the road or something like this? No, 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 we just said Village Church exists to glorify God by growing and multiplying disciples. And why did we say that? Because that's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says is the purpose of the church, to bring glory to God by growing and multiplying disciples. That is evangelism and discipleship. 
the last few weeks in the book of Acts, we've seen the evangelism happening. We've seen Stephen and Philip, and, and catch this, last week, we even see Jesus doing evangelism, don't we? You know, the interesting thing about last week with, with the interaction with Saul is that Jesus takes the hardest case. Like, sometimes you might think, you know, Jesus, you've given me hard cases to evangelize. You're like, have you evangelized Saul before? Jesus evangelized Saul himself. Amazing. And this is, again, I say this to you all the time, and I'm going to say it again, because it's one of my favorite things to Jesus, about Jesus, and I guess I have a microphone. So here it is, okay? Jesus doesn't ask us to do things he's unwilling or unable to do himself. That's what he does. He always goes first. Jesus evangelizes the hardest person we've seen yet. He evangelizes Saul. So we've seen Philip, and we've seen Stephen, and we've seen Jesus himself do incredible evangelism. And next week, we're going to see Peter begin to evangelize the entire non-Jewish world as he evangelizes Cornelius and his household by the leading of Jesus in his spirit. But this week, in the midst of all that evangelism, this week right here, Luke is going to show us, I believe, three ways that the church can continue to grow in a peaceful time by caring for God's people. Now, discipleship includes a lot of things, but by caring for God's people. And there are twin stories that Luke shares with us to make this point and to paint this picture. And that says something. These two stories are not like identical twins. They might be like fraternal twins in a sense. They have a lot of commonality. They don't look exactly the same, but they are the same in many ways. And Luke shares both of them for a reason. There's all kinds of things that are happening in the life of the church at this point. And Luke could have recorded or shared whatever stories he wanted, but he chose these two. And again, I'll remind you, the Bible doesn't have an ability to use a highlighter or to use bold, you know, bold italicized, or all-caps fonts like we do on our slides. You know, the, the Bible does this by repeating things oftentimes. And so Luke is trying to make a point. He's trying to put something in bold for us this morning, I believe. I think we can learn three lessons. The first one would be this, that the church grows when disciples follow the example of Jesus in bringing help and healing. When the church follows the example of Jesus in bringing help and healing. Now, if you're astute, you're saying, well, Matt, why are you using the word help? Because really these two stories are really about healing. They're not stories. They're accounts, I guess. You're saying help and healing. And part of the reason I'm, I'm saying help and healing is because I understand like you maybe, that in our cultural context, like we, we don't see a ton of supernatural healing happening like the ways we see happening in this passage. I mean, someone was just raised from the dead here, okay, in Acts chapter 9. And I realize we don't see a lot of that in our cultural context. And there are reasons for that. You might be asking why. Some people say, well, we, don't, we lack faith. You know, when Jesus went into his hometown, he didn't do many miracles there because they lacked the faith. Other people say, like, well, we, you know, they needed this medical kind of care because they didn't have it in that time and place and culture. We do, and so we see him healing through other ways in our cultural context. Some people would say we're not looking for it. Some people would point to the non-Western world and say, we see healings happening all over the non-Western world. Does it say something about us? We're too committed to, like, our rationality. We're, we don't actually believe these things the same way that Christians do all over the world. I mean, I... I I don't have time to go into all of it this morning. There are all kinds of reasons. But I'm saying help and healing because Jesus brings the help that people need oftentimes in his context through healing. Also through doing things like multiplying food and helping people in other ways. But often it's through healing. And his early apostles did the same thing. Some commentators will look at this and say, no, this is the example of Jesus 
and, and the signs of an apostle. Like this is following the example of Jesus for the apostles themselves because they're validating their role as apostles by doing the healing that Jesus is doing. That's all this is about. I would say, I think that's part of what this is about. I think it's an example of Jesus and the signs of apostles, but I th also think it's about the example of Jesus and the signs of a Christian. This is what Christians do. Christians help people with the things they need help with. And some Christians help people, Jesus uses them by offering healing to people. That happens all over the world. It happens here. We've seen it in the midst of our church. We see it here in the story about Aeneas, and, and we also see it in the, the story of the paralytic that Jesus heals in Luke chapter 5. And I believe this is no, this is no accident. Luke wants his audience to be thinking about this story, this account, rather, of Jesus healing the paralytic in Luke chapter 5. Do you remember that story? There's this guy who's been paralyzed for a long time, and his, his friends bring him to Jesus, but there's not enough room for him to get in front of Jesus. And you remember the story? They take him up on the roof, and they kind of remove the tiles, and they lower him down. And they get this guy in front of Jesus. And in Luke 5, 23 to 24, the yeah, after the religious leaders are saying, hey, how can you forgive sins? And Jesus says, you know, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or rise and walk, but so that you may know that the Son of Man, Jesus speaking about himself, has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And if you know the story, you know the rest of it. This guy rises, picks up his bed, and he goes off. And Jesus says, why don't you keep this to yourself for a while? Acts chapter 9, we, we see this in the story of Aeneas, the similarity as Peter went here and there among them all, verse 32. He came also to the saints who lived at Lydda. And there he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, long time. He was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And if you look at the language and what's happening, I mean, Luke is definitely making a parallel here. Peter says to him, rise and make your bed. Jesus says to the paralytic, pick up your bed and go home. Luke wants us to see something. Peter is following the example of Jesus. But this is just sort of a warm-up for Luke. We see it in this incredible way in the story about Tabitha and as it's connected to the story of Jairus' daughter. You remember the story in Luke chapter 8 of Jairus' daughter? There's this guy, he's, he's a really important official, and he has a daughter who's sick. He runs to Jesus. Everyone was running to Jesus when their kids were sick, and he was no different. He believed that Jesus could heal his daughter. And you remember the story on the way he, he, um, he gets uh, to Jesus, but then he gets kind of hung up because there's this woman that has this issue with her issue of blood, and, and, and she's kind of seeking Jesus out, and, and she reaches out, and she touches Jesus' garment, and Jesus understands, like, power's gone out from me, like someone's been healed, and he's looking around in the crowd, and he stops, and he takes time to deal with this situation with this woman. And in the midst of it, the messenger comes and says, hey, Jairus, you know, your daughter's already dead. It's too late. And Jesus is not too late. So Jesus leaves there, and he goes to Jairus' house, and he goes into the room, and he says, hey, she's just asleep. And everyone laughs at Jesus. I had an interaction this week with a guy who laughed at Jesus. There's lots of people who laugh at Jesus. All these people laugh at Jesus, and then here's what it says in Acts chapter, or Luke chapter 8, verse 53 and 54. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. 
if you know the rest of the story, she, she got up, and she was well, and they tended to her. Peter followed the example of Jesus in this account with, with Tabitha. We see that he does the same thing that Jesus did. Actually, down to almost the same exact words. Look at verse 36. It starts here. Now, there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. So, pause. If you're pregnant and you have a daughter, scratch this off your list, right? If you want her to have a hard childhood, we all recognize that, right? So, Tabitha is the Aramaic name. Dorcas is the Greek translation. <laughs> she was full of good works and acts of charity. And in those days, she became ill and she died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Now, pause for a moment. Here we see that the most committed disciples of Jesus are not free from hardship. They're not free from struggle. They're not free from pain. They're not free from sickness. They're not free from the reality of death. I mean, I mean Tabitha is a committed disciple. She's full of charity and good works. And we'll see that as the story unfolds. Look at it. It continues in verse 38. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was sent there, was there, rather, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So, so, so they send disciples to go get Peter. Why? Because they just wanted Peter to be present as she suffered and died? Because they just wanted Peter to come to the memorial service, be the keynote speaker? And because they knew that Peter had a measure of faith and that God had gifted Peter and that when Peter was around, even like Jesus, the book tells us that people would reach out and touch him and they'd be healed. I mean, crazy stuff happening in the life of the early church. Jesus demonstrating his power through his apostles. They knew that Peter had a certain kind of faith and in a particular gifting. And so they're like, go get Peter. And, and, and you know, this morning, I, I just kind of, I want to challenge us a little bit. Just a little bit. Don't be scared. Okay. Don't be scared. I just, I just want to challenge us a little bit with, with the idea, like, what, like, who would you seek out? Do you have a person that you would seek out that you know has great faith? And, and you may even have seen or heard that God, God has gifted them in this particular way. God tends to heal people as, as these people pray for them and they're in their presence. Like, if you were really sick in some way or if you're someone that you loved was, would you reach out to someone like that? I mean, part of me thinks that's a kind of a crazy idea. But then I look at a passage like this and I think, I think it's exactly what they're doing. And then I ask myself the question this week, would I seek out a person that has really great faith and a particular gifting in things if I wanted to understand something like, and someone I knew had a gift for teaching in a particularly incredible way, would I listen to their podcast on the topic? I probably would. Because I believe they have that great faith and God's gifted them in that way. If I needed help with something, would I reach out to someone who has the gift of helps and, and that really is eager to help people and it really does a good job with that? I think of a lot of people in our church that meet that description. Of course I would. If I needed help organizing something, in particular, if you know me, like with a spreadsheet, would I reach out to someone who's got like an administrative gifting and like that's what they do and, and it would be really helpful, like I'm going to go to that person? Of course I would. And again, I just want to challenge us with this a little bit, just a little bit. Like, why we look at healing a totally different way. We're like, don't do that. Don't seek out those people. That, like, means you lack faith or something. Like, why, why, why is that the case? I don't see that's what Peter is doing. One of the 
former elders in the life of our church. He's just he's moved now to another state. But I, I don't know how else to say this to you, but I've been, I was around this guy for like 15 years. And we would pray for people as elders and, and things like that. But I, I don't know, I, I can't explain all that I'm telling you, but all I know is that more often than not, when this guy laid his hands on people and he prayed for them, for some reason God moved and he, and he helped and he healed them in particular ways. And I thought it was a beautiful thing. He was a guy that didn't brag about it. He didn't boast about it. He didn't talk about it. He just quietly did it. Because for some reason he, he had faith and believed that God would, would, would use him in that way, and God did. And I saw it with my own eyes. It's incredible. You scared now? Don't be scared. The story continues. Look at verse 39. So Peter rose, and he went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and, sh and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. I mean, she was the real deal. This gal was the real deal. And, and it, it was, it, her death was devastating to the life of the church. Verse 40, but Peter put all of them outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said what? Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. And then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. Amazing, incredible account. But, but here's what I want you to see, and I, and I hope you're not distracted by, by my commentary and all that we've kind of talked about getting to this place. But I, I want you to see here really, really clearly that the words that Jesus spoke to Jairus' daughter and the words that Peter spoke to Tabitha, listen to me, they're almost identical. Matter of fact, the only difference is one letter if Peter were speaking Aramaic. One letter. John Stott reminds us of this in his commentary. He says, if Peter spoke Aramaic on this occasion, only a single letter would have been different. For Jesus said, Talitha cum, whereas Peter would have said, Tabitha cum. You see the one letter difference? Village Church, I want you to hear me this morning. I believe Luke does this on purpose. Luke is doing this, I believe, on purpose. He's showing us that he wants us to follow the example of Jesus, listen to me, as closely as we possibly can. Not just in the things that we do, in the way that we act, but literally in the things that we say, with the words that we say. Do you see what's happening here? Peter finds himself in the exact same situation as Jesus, almost. And what does he do? He uses the exact same words of Jesus, almost. Like, he's as close as he could possibly be following the example of Jesus. Now, I know this morning you might be saying, well, Matt, I would love to follow the example of Jesus. And, and I want to speak the words of Jesus, and I want to memorize Scripture and speak Scripture over people and pray it over them. And I want to use Scripture as I pray over people in these circumstances. And, you know, but I don't speak Aramaic. <laughs> and, I, and I'm not often invited into rooms with dead people. So what can I learn about following the example of Jesus in this whole scenario? And I think there's three things. One, Jesus is aware of the needs of the people around him. And Peter knew it. Peter knew this. And so you know what Peter did? Peter did the same thing. It said when he came into that town, he saw him. He saw Aeneas. He recognized him. He had eyes to see him, and Jesus Christ has eyes to see these people. 
And Peter, Peter followed the example of Jesus, and he had eyes to see him. And then he spoke to them in almost the same exact way that Jesus spoke to the paralytic. Peter's following his, his example. Jesus was aware of the needs around him. So was Peter, and guess what? So should we, right? And you, you and I, we can be aware of the needs of the people around us. We can see them. Jesus met the needs of those around him. Like when Jesus saw those needs, he met those needs. And again, often it was the healing, the physical healing that someone needed. But Jesus met the needs. And, and Peter did the same thing. And we can do the same thing. We can see the needs of people around us and we can meet those needs. Even if they're outside of physical healing, who knows? Maybe Jesus would use us to meet that need as well. And lastly, Jesus had and took time to meet the needs of those around him. I mean, wasn't that story about Jairus' daughter amazing? <laughs> I think Jesus, there's, there's this gal that needs to be healed, this little girl that needs to be healed, but there's this other woman that reaches out to Jesus, and like Jesus pauses this whole thing. There's crowds of people around him, but he has the margin somehow. And he takes the time, and he actually meets her need, the woman with the issue of blood, and then goes and meets the need of Jairus and his daughter. It's amazing. Jesus took the time. And again, Peter knew this. And Peter took the time. What do we see Peter doing? They come and grab him, and what does Peter do? Does he say, ah, I got a lot of things to do here. You guys have enough faith, just take care of it. No, 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 no. Peter goes with them immediately. Like, Peter did what Jesus did. Again, I want you to see this. He's following the example of Jesus. And we can and we should follow the example of Jesus in these things. I mean, and if you're like me, you're like, okay, I can be aware of the needs around me, and I want to meet the needs, but sometimes my life feels frantic, and it's busy. I know. Sometimes mine too. But I think this is how we can follow the example of Jesus. I think that's the question. Are we following the example of Jesus? I was thinking this week, you know, we may not ever, we may not often see the help and the healing in the lives of the people around us. Or we might not see the growth of the church that we're a part of in some way. Simply because we're not looking. We're not, we don't have eyes to see the needs of people around us. And we, maybe we're not taking the time to meet those needs. Or maybe we're, our, our lives are so frantic we actually don't have any margin where if, if the need arose, we, we could actually meet the need. We actually have the time even to do it or we take the time to do it. I mean, again, Village Church exists to glorify God by growing and multiplying disciples who are delighting in Jesus, declaring the good news about Jesus, and displaying the life of Jesus. We want to show some other people something of the life of Jesus Christ in the way that we interact with them. And this can be true for the, the physical needs that people have, praying for them that Jesus would help them and he would heal them. That's not just what apostles do. Christians can do that. I have a a hunch that there's lots of people in our relational circles that are struggling with anxiety or depression. You know, Jesus brings help and healing for those things. There's a lot of people that are struggling in their marriages. There's a guy on Luke's football team. He's a divorce attorney. He's like, business is booming after all of this. People's marriages are falling apart. You know, you know Jesus can heal a marriage or any other relationship? People are struggling with their kids and parenting and the angst that their children have. Do you know that Jesus can bring healing to those things? Do we believe that? Yeah. Jesus can bring help and healing. He's the only one that can. You know, these stories reminded me this week about something Jesus said to his disciples that I've, I've really often, I've wondered about. And when you see this verse, you'll wonder about it too. 
Jesus is preparing his disciples for the reality that he's going to be leaving. And, and he's not going to be doing all these things in front of them anymore because he's physically not going to be present. And, and that he set this ministry example for them. And that it would actually continue through them. And at the end of John's gospel, Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Well, that's enough right there. To, to stop me. Is it enough to stop you? And then Jesus goes on, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. I mean, just in case it didn't mark you, I'm going to ask you to read that together with me out loud. Read, read it together with me. I, wanna, I want you to hear your voice say it. Okay, you ready? Here we go. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works I do. And greater works than these I want you to hear yourself say it. Like, do we believe that? I mean, do we believe that because the Holy Spirit is going to be present in the lives of God's people, and it's not just going to be like Jesus in one locale, but now all his people everywhere that he is, again, the temple's on the road, the Spirit is moving through, in and through his people, that God's going to continue to move and, and do the works that Jesus does through his church, through his people? This is what Jesus said. Is this what we believe? second thing I believe we can learn this morning from these two stories. The church grows when disciples rely on the power of Jesus to bring help and healing. The church doesn't just grow when we follow the example of Jesus, but part of the way we follow the example of Jesus is relying on the power of Jesus to bring this kind of help and healing. We see it in the story of Aeneas when Peter says to him in verse 34, the first part of 34, Aeneas, Christ Jesus heals you. Rise from your bed. There's no attention on him. This is not like Faith Healer Channel 40. This is like, like Peter is like, Christ, Jesus Christ heals you. In his interaction with Tabitha, Peter put them all outside and then he knelt down to pray. Why do you pray? Because you understand this is not something you do on your own. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And Peter understood there was nothing in and of himself that could bring the lasting and the ultimate help and healing that someone needed. Only Jesus can do that. And Peter had seen that. Peter knew that. Peter experienced that, that one little vignette where, you know, the disciples go out and they're, they're trying to bring this healing and they come back and they're frustrated because it's not working. You remember? And Jesus says, oh, yeah, these ones just come out from, by, by, by prayer and, and fasting. Like, Peter had learned a thing or two through success and through failure in this. Peter learned that he needed to pray and just fall on Jesus for these things because only he can do it. Listen to me. We cannot overcome disease. And we cannot overcome death. And we cannot overcome dysfunctions in our relationships or our marriages or in our parenting or, or in, in, in the lives of our own life, ourselves, with our depression or anxieties or we can't overcome these things on our own, on our own authority, our own power or expertise or earthly wisdom. This is part of following the example of Jesus. Jesus relied on the power and presence of the Holy Spirit that came upon him at his baptism. Jesus, fully man and fully God, relied on the power of the Spirit in all the things that he did. And so did Peter. Why would this be any different for us? I said, well, okay, well, what does that look like? And I 
think it looks like a lot of things, but the simple formula this morning that I think that we see here at very least is faith plus prayer plus action. And so it's, 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 it's all of these things that we would pray that God would increase our faith. That he would give us the faith to believe these things. And I don't know about you, but I've been praying all week, would you give me the faith to believe that you would move in and through my life in significant ways this way? Would you give me faith to believe? You, you remember the guys like, hey, <laughs> I believe, but help my unbelief? I feel like that guy. Do you? Give me greater faith. I get on my knees, literally on my knees, because, like, I don't know what to do. And I don't have the power to do it, but he does. Increase my faith. I'm totally dependent on you for this, but I'm going to go and I'm going to, I'm going to do what you tell me to do. I'm going to obey you. And I don't know what the outcome is going to be, but I'm going to offer help in this way. And if it's a way that I'm unfamiliar with a bit or I don't have a lot of experience with, but I see the need and I know it's there, I'm going to go and do my best to meet it. I'm going to ask you to give me faith. I'm going to tell you I'm dependent on you, and then I'm going to go. Sometimes, like, we go, but we don't declare dependence or ask God to increase our faith. And, I mean, I think these things are all included. I think they are here. So you might have someone that you know that does have a physical ailment. And they're, they, they're asking for, they want to be healed. Have you been asking God to increase your faith and praying, how can I help, Lord? What would you cause me to do? Would you, would you help them through me? Would you do it? And, and are, are you willing to go? You know someone who's like their marriage is a shambles and you know, and like, are you asking God, give me faith, give them faith. Like tell me what to do, move through my life and help them, bring the help that only you can bring. And I'm willing to go, you prompt me, give me the opportunity. Like we're praying through all these things. Third and final thing I believe we can learn this morning from these two stories is that the church grows when disciples help others see Jesus as they bring help and healing. I mean, the church grows when we follow Jesus, we follow his example, when we rely on his power. And when we actually go and do these things, it helps other people to see Jesus more clearly. We see this in the story of Aeneas. In verse 35, it says, And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now, they turned to the Lord when they what? When they saw. When they saw the work of Jesus through Peter, that's when they turned to the Lord. And, and I want to I draw your attention to something, and I should have put it in all caps, but the word is all there. All the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him. Now, they didn't all believe, the commentators said, it can't mean that they all believed, like the entire city believed. But what we do believe as we look at the language and we look at the context is what all means in this is, is, is it means most. It means most of an entire city saw this and turned to Jesus. I mean, do you believe that most of your neighborhood could see something and turn to Jesus? Do you believe most of the city that you live in, they could see something and they could turn? Do we believe that? This is what happened here in this city. I mean, it's true in the story of Tabitha also. Verse 41, end of it in verse 42. Then calling the saints and the widows, he presented her life. It became known throughout, again, here it is, all of Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Again, that text is, that, that all is not most, but it's many. And, and what I want to emphasize is most and many is a lot different than few, or hardly any, or barely one person. 
I just think as a church, like we, we, need to, we need to change our expectations about how Jesus can move in and through our lives and through the life of the church. In the life of the early church, it was most and many. And I think we're sort of cowering behind like, ah, oh, maybe a couple here and there. I don't think that's Jesus' heart for the life of his church. At least we don't see it in the book of Acts in the early church. You know, as we wrap up, a couple weeks ago we talked about this idea of a bridge. And when we're doing evangelism, we, we're using our words, we offer a bridge for the gospel. And there's this kind of felt need that someone has and, and we share scripture with them and the truth of the gospel with them and we help them to see their real need by doing that. And, and we want to create this bridge between the need that they feel in the moment and the actual need, the real need that they actually have for forgiveness and relationship with God. It was awesome. I, I got a text message that night from a, a couple in our church who's here this morning who said, you know, we, we, we left church and we actually went and shared with my sister and then like we shared the gospel with her and she actually responded. It was awesome. Like, like this stuff, it, this is what, this is, it worked. <laughs> this is, Jesus told us it would work, that he would give us the words to say in these situations. And this couple found out, yeah, that worked. Yeah, felt need, shared the gospel, through the scriptures and recognized their real need and came to faith in Christ. Praise God. You know, there's also a bridge not only with the things that we say, but the things we do. Not only with our words, but with our works, our actions. I think that bridge looks a little something like this. I think it starts with the works of God through us. That, that God gives us works to do. He impresses on our heart. He helps us to see the need. And there's, there's something that needs to be done to meet it. So by God's grace, we, we move in and meet that need. God works through us. And there's something that that does. To show people something of the work that God has done through Jesus, the ultimate work that he's done. It's a, it's a, it's a bridge to, to help them see that. And then at the end, there's the work of God in them. We see God work in them, and we see them come to faith in Jesus. Why? Not just because of the things that we say, although we have to say those things. The bridge with our words is always there. It's always important. You know, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. No, no, preach the gospel because it is necessary to use words. You have to use words to preach the gospel. But, but this is part of the bridge that as you do that, he see, they see the work in us. It shows something of the work of Christ. And then we see Christ at work in their life. And you know what? We recognize this as a church, don't we? Because Jesus himself has given us pictures of this in the life of the church. Things like communion and baptism. These things that we do, that we physically do, they actually show us something of what Jesus has done. And this is what it's all about anyway, isn't it? Helping others to see that there was a time when there was no need for help, there was no need for healing because people were in a perfect relationship with God. But then sin entered the world. And changed everything in a horrible way. Everything became broken. We want them to see this and understand this. This is why our bodies are broken. This is why our marriages are broken and our relationships are broken. This is why systems and structures in our society are broken because of sin. But that God wasn't content to leave us in that place, but he would come to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus would show us his power to help and to heal, like our, our physical, tangible needs. And he would show us his ability to, to help us and heal us from our, our ultimate need by going to the cross and dying 
there in our place and for our sins, taking on all the consequence for our sin and the brokenness of the world. And that when we place our faith and our hope and our trust in Jesus, we can find healing of our ultimate need, our need to be forgiven for our sin and reconciled to God. And now Jesus can use us to bring healing, tangible healing to the needs that they have that would help point them to the, the intangible but, but most important need they have to be reconciled to God. And that one day Jesus will return and he will help and heal everything once and for all and forever. And between now and then, he's left us in this place to help bring his help and healing that the world needs and to proclaim the ultimate help and healing that the world needs until he returns. And I think that's connected to our good news this morning. I think it would be something like this, that God has given us the ultimate help and healing we need through our faith in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. That is good news. I hope you believe it. I believe that you do, and I hope you believe that everything that would flow out of that, that out of that Jesus would want us to bring his good news to the people around us. So Village Church, this morning um, I'm going to ask you to do something I, I don't usually ask you to do. Um, but first I'm going to ask you to do something I do usually ask you to do. See how easy that is? Would you bow your heads and hearts with me for a moment? That is something we do here often. What we don't do here often at the Village Church is just offer an opportunity to receive prayer for in some way. And so with your head and your heart bowed, I'm just going to ask our pastors, they're going to be in the back. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you all to stand, and we're going to stand and sing and respond when we're ready, we're going to take communion. But for some of you this morning, you know you need the help and the healing of Jesus. Next week in our scripture reading plan, as your heads, your hearts are bowed, we're going to read these words. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. If you're suffering this morning, you can pray. And we want to pray for you. If anyone's cheerful, let them sing praise. And this is just what Christians do when they're joyful. And you'll get an opportunity here in a moment to sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And my time is gone this morning, Village Church, as your heads, your hearts are bowed to, to answer the $64,000 question, why isn't every person healed every time that some Christian prays for them? As your pastors, we believe we want to be obedient to this scripture, and so many of you have come to receive prayer from your pastors on different occasions. So this morning, as we all have our heads and our hearts bowed, if you know that that's you, you know you need prayer physically, you need prayer to healing, you need healing in your marriage, a relationship, your parenting, your struggle, your anxiety, and you know you, you, you're, it's, it's binding you, you need to be healed from this. Some form of depression, something you're struggling with. I just want to give you a moment to respond and just to get up now and to go to the back and 
receive prayer from one of your pastors. And you could go later, but why wouldn't you just go now? Yeah, you could go now. Good. And you can go later, but if you want, you can go now. Jesus, we are um, so grateful that we can go to you. Lord, we are people that are desperate for your help and your healing. Physically, emotionally, mentally, we're not thinking correctly about the things of God. In our marriages, in our homes, our relationships, Lord, we we need the, the healing that only you can bring. And we just, we come to you this morning. We say we need and we want your healing in our lives. And we ask you in your name, Jesus, to bring the healing that only you can bring. We thank you that you've brought the ultimate healing, that by your stripes we are healed. We are forgiven. We are free. And because of that, we love you. And we thank you. We do it in your name, Jesus. Amen.